0: Are you leading your business or just managing it as best you can? This Matters, a study by Zenger Falkman shows that extraordinary leaders double profits while poor leaders lose money.
1: Let's be honest, uh, we will come across a few of those poor leaders. So in today's podcast, we're finding out how you can hone your leadership skills and see the benefits on that all-important bottom line.
0: Along the way, we're going to look at some real-life examples, shining a light on that link between better leadership and profitability, and things like worker satisfaction, engagement and staff
1: retention. So, welcome to the latest edition of Business Class Money Minutes, powered by American Express. Hello, I'm Nigel Cassidy. And I'm Kate Bassett. And Kate, on this edition of Money Minutes, we really have lined
2: up three great guests.
0: In different ways, they'll all be telling us how positive leadership can boost your earnings.
2: So you have like hard measures, really, the money, market share, you know, profit and stuff like that. But then long term, I would say sustainability factors, the key success factors, like customer satisfaction, partner satisfaction and satisfaction of your own employees, how you develop them, they are really like long term sustainable factors.
1: That's Jan Mulfite, who draws on his time at the top of the corporate tree with Microsoft and now works as a coach. He'll show us how to go about finding the best in all our people.
0: And I'm really excited we've lined up someone who's truly influential in publishing. She's not only revived one of the country's biggest magazines, but is now on a mission to help us all start our own personal leadership revolution. It's the editor-in-chief
3: of L.U.K. and the author of The Discomfort Zone, Farrah Store. You have to be really careful you don't become too far removed. And that can happen, actually. So, yeah, you have to find a balance and you have to choose which details you need to be invested in. You can't be across all of them. And I have, over the years, found that hard to let go. But I'm always going to be detail orientated. And I actually think, you know, details count. Brands can live or die if consumers find a detail which doesn't marry up with the rest of the brand. The
1: seriously impressive Farrah's store with lots of tips, like getting to know every one of your people so you can adapt your communication style to suit each one.
0: But first, let's start where the buck stops, at the sharp end of a business. Our first guest is the co-founder of XExec, one of Britain's fastest growing companies.
1: He's Saul Meyer. ex is a global employee, benefits customer loyalty and incentives company. But what interests us in particular is Saul Meyer's leadership methods, which put employee engagement right at the heart of things.
0: Welcome, Saul.
4: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here today.
0: So, Saul, you founded Ex-Exec back in 2000 with just four workers. How would you describe your leadership style and really how it's evolved as the business has grown?
4: I was relatively young when we started the business and to a large extent probably thought that I knew everything and had all the answers and would get it figured out myself. I think over time I've come to learn that I certainly don't have all the answers, probably don't even have most of the answers. I think what we really have learned is that collaborative thinking, surrounding yourself by people who are experts, people who know a lot more than you do in each specific area is probably the way that we've succeeded in terms of growing the business. We really can't be too proud to learn from anyone.
1: I wonder what shapes your personal leadership style. I mean, how pally are you with individual workers? Do you like to give them treats? Do you let them make mistakes? I mean, what do you like as a boss and how would you be able to tell whether your tactics are actually having a, a monetary value, if you like, that the time you're spending is actually paying dividends?
4: So I think, you know, probably one of the things that you struggle with, we started with four employees, when you're working in an environment like that, even as you grow, the employees that you start with feel a certain nexus towards you and feel a certain closeness that they, you know, even if you've got managers who who are have now come in, in between yourself and them, they feel that they can approach you directly. And, and we'd like to keep that direct approach. I think it's the right thing to do. You've got to sometimes say no and, you know, speak to your manager, but at the same time, have that camaraderie, have that closeness. If you recognise employees, and there's study after study which has shown this, if you recognise employees and congratulate them on a job well done, they feel so much more empowered. It's not about money. It's about saying thank you and well done and really backing them up. Now, you mentioned also, you know, when they make mistakes, yes. They invariably do make mistakes. And I think that, to me, is the most important thing is if you can, when they make a mistake, so long as they're conscious of the fact that they've made a mistake and they're somewhat apologetic for it, I would hope as a business leader, I would always back them up, even if it means financial loss.
1: Have you seen any specific reports that's made you kind of feel, all well, this is worthwhile?
4: Absolutely. So, you know, a number of reports, and these are coming out the whole time. Recent one, Capterra, came out with something, in UK recognition report saying 94% um, consider employee recognition to be the key in retaining talent. 78% of respondents this is one of the most scary ones. 78% of respondents said they would work harder if they had more recognition. And one from Robert Walters, 32% of millennials rate formal recognition of individual achievements as one of the most important ways to keep them engaged. And millennials, by the way, is, are, is really interesting because they've got their own, all their own ideas. A lot of employees think they don't get enough. 56% of employees don't think they get enough recognition from their companies. And uh, 50% believe that employee recognition is a priority in their company. So all these things are absolutely making it key. And it's something, which is which is really, really important.
0: Saul. So can you give us a specific example of a client that's really used your software to increase employee engagement and how they've measured it?
4: Absolutely. So they're in the logistics business, typical longevity of a delivery driver is six weeks, which as you can imagine, for a business is a disaster, they're continually having to hire. Um, and it's just a continual cycle of hiring, which is expensive, and you know, really causes a lot of upheaval for the business. So we've worked with them in trying to actually solve that problem and we've done it in quite an interesting way, they recognise their staff for a job well done if a delivery is on time they even let the customer uh, we've created a solution whereby the customer can go in and rate the specific delivery driver it pertains back to them now rather than getting an immediate award for that they do get an award and they can redeem that award for a gift card they can redeem it for for an experience you know for some of the bigger awards they can even redeem for example to go to a cricket match or to to, to a concert that they like now the value of that award for the first six weeks is one point to one pound as time goes on, we've doubled the value of that award. So after six weeks, every point that you've got doubles and then triples quite quickly. What we have found is that their attrition rate in terms of employees leaving within that six-week period actually has come down quite considerably. Now, it may not be the only reason, but it's certainly been cited amongst employees when questioning them as to one of the reasons that they want to stay is because, well, we've got these points which are building up. Come six months' time or come Christmas time, I can redeem them for something really valuable. These little things, and it's not hugely expensive at all, but what these little things can do can change an employee psyche and make them actually want to stay longer, which was the, the issue in this type of business. Other businesses have struggled in terms of, you know, employees maybe working longer hours, they want to encourage them to do that, or being willing to innovate and to come up with ideas and to improve customer service and all these different types of things.
0: You say it doesn't have to be a huge budget. Can you give us any figures?
4: Yeah, it's a really good question there. I mean, you know, typically they say for big enterprise companies that 2% of your compensation budget should be utilised for recognition. That's a huge amount in some companies. Realistically, it's probably closer to about 0.6 or 0.7% of total comp that is utilised for recognition.
0: How do you actually manage the returns on the time spent on leadership issues, you know, on the bottom line?
4: I think the key elements to look at are, number one, in terms of cost savings. So, OK, so let's look at things like retention, because retention is a huge issue in terms of, uh, in terms of cost. So if you're looking to hire employees, if you're looking to, to have to replace employees who don't turn up for work and absenteeism and other things like that, which are costing a business, if you can deal with that in an efficient manner... Even if it's going to cost you a couple of hours by being nice, going out for lunch with them, or doing things which you don't really like doing, but doing it because it's got a financial perspective to it, you're going to do it. Because the cost of actually trying to hire a new person, working with a recruitment consultant, trying to hire them, paying them, and then till they start, and if they're going to be good as well, well, you know what, rather hang on to what you've got. So that's on the retention side. What we see with some businesses is that they'll actually bring in a, a, an operating officer or, a, or a, we've seen a chief happiness officer. You've got others who you may delegate that role to. I think it's a shame for managers to do that, because I think that means your, your biggest asset is undoubtedly your staff. And if you can't engage with your biggest asset, then, then you probably have something wrong with you.
1: So, Kate, what do you make of how Saul all plays things? Uh, certainly all seems to be based on um, research, how people actually behave in the real world.
0: That's right, as saw outlined, employee engagement can really boost your bottom line. You have to be a visible leader and don't forget the importance of saying thank you. After the break, we'll sit down with Jan Mulfight, a real expert on how to turn yourself into a better leader.
1: And we'll have an insight into, now get this, the discomfort zone. It's how author and L.U.K. editor Farrah Store describes where you have to go as a boss if you're serious about leading from the top and turning things round.
0: So don't go anywhere. no matter the size of your business, American Express has your back. Our range of business cards gives you greater control over your cash flow, so you'll have the flexibility to respond to change, chase opportunities, and keep growing. Plus, you can earn rewards from your day-to-day spend and invest it back into your business. Visit AmericanExpress.com UK slash business card to learn more. Terms apply.
1: Welcome back to Business Class Money Minutes, powered by American Express.
0: Turnarounds in any industry are impressive, but now we're going to meet someone who has wildly succeeded in one of the most brutal industries, publishing. Having made her reputation launching Women's Health, she was picked to work her magic on Cosmopolitan and then
1: L.U.K., She's Farah Store, and she's turned some of her experiences leading her teams into a book, The Discomfort Zone, How to Get What You Want by Living Fearlessly. She's turned it into a TED Talk as well. And it's really become quite a crusade to show how leading and recruiting differently is the future. So welcome Farah.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: So Farrah, you initially had this leadership baptism of fire, launching Women's Health in six weeks with effectively no money or staff. I think you had to sell 100,000 copies to go on to the second issue. But when you went to Cosmopolitan, that was more a turnaround, orchestrating a change in direction.
3: When I took over Cosmo, it was quite a different proposition. So, Women's Health was a tiny team and and then a team that I built which became a sort of, you know, team of 12. Cosmo was very different. It was being asked to do something transformative again. It was get us back to being the number one magazine in the country. We hadn't been that for years, about 20 years at that point but also it was lead a team through what is going to be very, very turbulent waters. And it was a big team. It was a team who had been there for a very long time. I remember I walked in on the first day and my office was sort of like a glass cube in the middle of the sort of office floor. And I sort of said hello to everyone and there was just complete sort of dead silence. So you always face these things and, and your job really as a leader is to believe and to get others to believe in your vision so much that it drowns out the noise leading through that tough time at cosmo and really having to
0: prove everyone wrong must have been a real challenge so when you took the helm at l uk in 2019 did you consciously evolve or change your leadership style in the light of that past experience you know how have you adapted to get the best out of your team
3: absolutely. And I actually think you're never sort of born with one leadership style. It's made and it's adapted and amended. And by the time I got to L, you know, I'd been an editor for sort of like seven years at that point. You know, I knew that I could do the job. I knew that I was a pretty good sort of demonstrably. I I was a good editor. I could make successful products. But what I didn't know was what sort of leader I was, because even though I had in the end, and I was very sad to say goodbye to my, my Cosmo team who I'd sort of hired and built up, my whole point with Elle was I don't want to repeat what happened with, with Cosmo. I want to try and keep people with me. And so I went in very, very differently. You know, I went in so much softer and it felt right because actually, if I'm being honest, I think when I went in at Cosmo, I was a lot younger. You know, I was sort of early 30s. And sometimes what comes with that sort of quite hierarchical leadership is you're trying to prove that you are the leader. By the time I got to L, didn't feel I had to prove it that much anymore I knew I could do the job but what I did have to prove probably to myself was that I could be a softer type of leader and that actually what I had to do was make people feel really secure and that didn't mean one of the things actually that sort of rightly or wrongly throughout my career I think some people think is a good thing and some people don't is I'm quite obsessional so I will obsess about things like it's never finished it could be better it could be better And actually, I worried that a softer type of leadership would mean forsaking that. But of course, it didn't. So when I got to L, the very first thing I did was I found out about the people in front of me. You know, I took every single one of them. I put a meeting in, which I'm sure they dreaded. But I had a meeting with every single one of them. And I adapt my management style to what that person needs. That sort of
0: softer leadership style that you talk about where you're really nurturing each individual, you know, you mentioned that can be quite exhausting. But how do you know that really reaps rewards? How did you measure that? Is it just about employee churn? You know, what were you looking at in terms
3: of the results? I think it's how often people come to you. It's a really simple thing. You know, I very, very quickly, where is it Cosmo? There was just a lot of silence. I didn't hear a lot from people. But once you get to know the individuals, the way that I judge these things is, are they coming to me? Are they communicating with me? Do they feel safe coming to me with ideas that I may well disagree with, but they feel safe in the knowledge that actually even if this editor disagrees with ideas, I disagree most of the time. And actually I tell my team, I want you to come to me with ideas you think I'm not going to agree with. And your job is to change my mind. And obviously, you've been a leader in quite
0: extreme circumstances. You talked about those turbulent waters. What would be your tips for leaders? You know, how does positive leadership, you know, really help you steer the ship forward?
3: Be a human being. Be honest with people you know I know people go you've got to be a vulnerable leader vulnerable doesn't mean airing your emotional laundry but it does mean saying particularly at the moment I haven't got the answers at the minute and I'm trying to figure it out and I will have an answer for you but it's going to take me some time so far leading through tough times can you give us
0: some examples of when you've had to look at the balance sheet and really make some tough decisions
3: Well, I work in publishing, so you're always having to make difficult decisions when you look at the economics. Every day in publishing, you are balancing up. And and remember, I came through the sort of halcyon period where money was not a big issue to now where it's scarcer. I'm forensic about it, so I'm very clear on what we have to work with. Once we know what we have to work with, then you have to make tough decisions about if there were 10 things you wanted to achieve, maybe it's only going to be five. What I'm not a fan of is trying to achieve everything, but just doing it to a lesser standard. Don't take your standards down, but let's take down what we are able to achieve. And we have to make peace with that, actually. It doesn't mean that we're failing, but if we're only left with five things we can do, we just do them absolutely brilliantly. The other thing that I tend to do with my team is is we tend to do things which make a bit of noise. So if money is sort of on the tighter side... One of the things, and I don't think this just is journalists, actually, I think everybody loves feedback. But of course, if you're an editor of a magazine, feedback comes in many forms. And one of it is how the world talks about your brand. So often what we do is, is if we can't afford to do something, we use it as an opportunity to really shake things up and do something that will make a lot of noise. You can do so much with very little. I mean, it all goes back to that my whole belief is you know, big meetings with vast teams, you end up with a, you have an idea, it goes round a table of a million different players and you come back with something very watery. So Nigel, what would be your top
0: takeaways from our chat?
1: Oh, well, where do we start here? I'm particularly impressed by this idea of adapting your style for each person you deal with. I think journalists do this you and I have learned to do this in our jobs but I noticed a lot of business people don't always do that I mean you're going to meet people from all walks of life and just uh, adapt yourself so you kind of get on people's level without being patronizing again I love this idea of looking for the passion I mean as we heard you know it it can sound like a cliche but just the idea of finding these people who light up when they talk about uh, the job they're doing and obviously you know they're not just going to work to get the paycheck, uh, they're going for other reasons. That idea about don't be tight, don't just uh, say if people bring you things they feel strongly about, say, well, that's just how it is. Understand that they're challenging the status quo for a very good reason.
0: And I love Farah's comment that silence is bad, make sure you're in constant dialogue with your team, and that it's okay to be a vulnerable leader and say when you don't know things. To round off this edition, we're going to look at how we can learn to be a better leader. And who better to do that with than Jan Mulfight?
1: 22 years in senior roles at Microsoft Corporation, including Chairman Europe. He's a coach of Olympic Games winners, a best-selling business author, and his personal mission is simply helping people to unlock their human
2: potential.
0: Welcome, Jan.
2: Hi, guys.
0: So Jan, you talk a lot about finding the best, but what do true business leaders do that really goes beyond just telling other people what to do? So tell us a bit more about how a great leader spends their day. What do they look and sound like?
2: I think it is about self-awareness because if you understand who you are, then you can understand who are other people and you can understand the whole world. Unfortunately, self-awareness is not taught today in the schools, but it's not even taught at the workplaces, right? I think all people in general and great leaders in particular who are successful and happy, they have three things in common. They understand who they are, but also they understand who they are not. What are their talents and strengths? And what are their weaknesses? Because if I have some weakness, i rather have somebody who can be like number two or my chief operating officer You know, who can cover my weaknesses and the other way around, right? So they understand who they are and who they are not. Number two, they understand what they want from the life. They are able to do the same for their own, you know, people or, you know, for the whole organization. And number three, they are able to make decisions to use who they are and what is the organizations to basically achieve what they want or what is the mission of the organization. People are not defined by situations or by environment. We are defined by our own decisions. And great leaders, in my view, they are able to pick up what is the best in each and every person. If you are able to inspire other people, then they will follow you because leader is not defined by the business card leader is defined by the people following him or her, even during the tough situations and in under the tough you know, conditions. And now obviously the question is, how can you inspire people? You can inspire people through the vision.
0: In small companies, you know, how you actually go about measuring the impact of your leadership style? So how do you actually assess the time spent leading, influencing your teams? And that's impact on performance and profits.
2: Look, in general, it's not necessary, you know, distinguishing large and small companies, but you need to measure performance. You know, at the end of the day, it's a business. So you measure market share, you measure your ability to ship new products, you measure you know your profit you measure your revenue those are kind of the clear things then obviously you need to measure satisfaction of your partners and customers and then you need to capture how you are able to develop you know people that are again you know different questioners, uh, different approaches.
0: In terms of developing your staff, I know that you refer to the CEO as chief enthusiasm officer. Obviously, a lot of employees at the moment are suffering from pandemic fatigue, everyone's burnt out. So what would be your practical tips for leaders in terms of galvanizing your team?
2: First thing, you know, help your people to do what they really like, and where are their talents? You know, right? So they are—it's called flow. Flow are moments when you do something which is very difficult for you, but on the other hand, you use who you really are, right? And if you are in the flow, it's good that you are learning faster, like four hundred fifty percent, but you are also more productive, five hundred percent more productive, according to the study from McKinsey. So it's good for the company, it's good for you. But if you are in the flow, endorphin is released. That endorphin is helping your you know immunity, your mood, you know, your emotions, right? So make sure that you are majority of the time your you know employees can do what they really like and can kind of you know use their their talents that's point number one point number two our brains they like very much structure once there is a clear plan what needs to be done okay after we finish the task dopamine is released
0: Jan can you give us any specific examples where you've worked with companies to improve the leadership and it's really impacted the bottom line
2: I took over 21 years ago, Central and Eastern Europe in Microsoft. It was like 2,000 people, 31 countries. And that team was like average or below the average performance. But, I, but those were good people still, you know. And I thought I need to do some rapid transformation, but I didn't know what to do, right? I mean, what I said, there was like 2,000 people in Atlanta, Georgia. And I said, be more of who you are. I said, I'm not going to change you. I'm going to to use what is best in you to achieve what we want to achieve. But I still didn't know how to do it. Okay, And then, you know, uh, somebody put me together with Gallup and introduced me to StrengthsFinder test from Gallup, which is like revealing top five, you know, strengths. And you basically are working on those. So what we did... We tested, you know, everybody in the region and we were sitting in with each and every person like, hey, this is who you are. This is what you told us about yourself through the test. And this is your job description. Let's talk about how you can use who you are to achieve what we all, you know, want. And suddenly that team who was before that, like number five, number six, sometimes number 11 out of the 13 regions in Microsoft was the best in half of the year, in three months, in fact was best performing region worldwide in four years in a row.
1: Wow okay well lots of things uh, to try there and certainly I'm gonna have a go at this uh, reminding of things that have gone well repairing things that aren't and uh, repairing things that haven't and reimagine what we're going to do tomorrow.
0: So there we have it really great actionable advice from three experts on how positive leadership can boost that bottom line.
1: In our next episode we'll discuss strategies for advertising your brand digitally across paper clicks search and paid media.
0: In the meantime, check out the Business Class Trends and Insights Hub for the latest articles and videos on everything related to small business finances at americanexpress.com slash UK slash business class.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to Business Class Money Minutes, which you'll find wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an edition.
0: Until next time, from Nigel and me here at Business Class Money Minutes, goodbye and take care.